This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. This past week, there has been a lot of energy running through this place, uh, having fun, learning, growing in God. We've had Vacation Bible School. We had about 350 kids, and uh, they just had a great time. As they were here, uh, you saw the the video earlier, their theme that we use this week is God is good. God is good in a number of different times. And they talked about how God is good when life changes, how God is good when life is scary. And those two, those two thoughts came from the, the story of Daniel. And then they turned to the story of Jesus. And they talked about how God is good when life is sad. And they talked about the resurrection of Christ and then they, or, or the crucifixion of Jesus. And they talked about how life is good when, when uh, or God is good when life is good. And the reality that Christ is raised up from the dead. And there were lots of, lots of great things to see, lots of great things to experience, um, a number of marvelous things to hear and listen to. Um, one of the fun things I got to do on Thursday was I got to, to uh, talk with some older kids in a, in a lesson about how God is good when life is good. And I got to talk to them about an, an experience when Jesus was resurrected and how he went to the Sea of Galilee and went fishing where he, well, he made breakfast. The disciples went fishing. He made breakfast on the seashore. And so we got to talk about that and got to talk to him about how Peter swam to the shore without any clothes on. And they had unique questions about that. And it's always uh, fun to see lights, you know, light bulbs go off in, in kids' mind. But uh, <clears throat> at this one moment, I was talking with the, ki- with the kids. And, and I said to them, I said, you know, Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, the resurrected Jesus, he had holes in his hands, and, and he had a hole in his side where he had been crucified. And he asked Thomas, in fact, the first time he met with them, he invited Thomas to, to touch his hands and his side. And this one little boy, just taking all of that in, and he said, I mean, Jesus, Jesus showed up with scars, with holes. He wasn't, he wasn't all the way put back together like he wasn't perfect? He said, why, why was that the case? And I looked at him, and for a moment, there was a title of a book that went through my mind. And I almost wanted to say to this young guy, here's a book that you can read. But then in the same breath, in the same moment in my mind, there was Pastor Bob saying, really? Uh, you're going to give a kid a title of a book? And uh, so I didn't. I withheld from that in that moment. Um, but I, I looked that young man in the, in the face. I said, young man, I said, that's one of the most important questions anybody could ask. Why is it that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, has the wounds of the cross upon him? And when he's raised up, he still has those wounds. I said, you need to ask that question. Not only today, but for the rest of your life, you need to ask that question and pursue, pursue what that means, because that's one of the most profound questions anybody could ever ask. Uh, later, when he's older and he wants to read some books on theology, then I, I've got a great title for him, and, uh, but not, not today. But <clears throat> one, of the, one of the fun things about Vacation Bible School is that it invites kids to hear the story of God and to realize that the story of God can be lived out in their own life. In fact, when we take up the Bible and when we read the Bible, that's exactly the purpose of the Bible, is for us to see that God's story is laid out before us and to invite us into the story of God. 
to see where God may want to form us and fashion us and shape us. So in this month of July, we've been taking up the book of James within the Bible. In the first chapter that we looked to and we, we uh, heard about, we heard how James calls us to live a faithful life when we find ourselves betwixt between temptations and trials. In fact, James realizes, or his audience realizes, that there are moments where you're between those two places and you don't really know how to live. James says, well, dig down deep. And in your re reservoir of faith, when you connect with Jesus, who's resurrected, when you connect with Jesus, bring up joy. Because being connected to him helps you have joy in those places where, you, where you're not really sure what kind of emotion you ought to have. Joy is, is something that can be really deep and you can dive into and you can express. Last week, Pastor Bob talked to us about how faith and action are like a hand in a glove. Um, faith needs to find an expression in the world. And action needs to be rooted in faith. And, and James encourages his listeners who are who are faithful to the gospel of Jesus, who live spread out all across the world, and who in many ways are separated from a place of worship. James says, even though you're, you may be separated from a place of worship, you can still express faith in the actions that you carry out. James really wants us to hear, all of his readers, to hear and to know that, that we can live out faith in a lot of different, different ways. Today he's going to talk to us. In chapter 3, James is going to talk to us about leaders and about our tongues because our tongues are rather significant. And so if you've got a Bible or if you've got a Bible on a phone, if you'd, um, I invite you to read along with me. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible, that translation, and uh, invite you to read along James 3 with me. My brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers because we know that we teachers will be judged more strictly. We all make mistakes often, but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and put bits in their mouths to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Consider ships. They are so large that strong winds are needed to drive them. But pilots direct their ships wherever they want with a little rudder. In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. Think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. People can tame and already have tamed every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue, though uh, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we both bless the Lord and Father and curse human beings made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. Both fresh water and salt water don't come from the same spring, do they? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. The fresh water doesn't flow from a saltwater spring either. Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle 
that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth, natural and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. What of the wisdom from above? First it is pure and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. One of the first verses that we kick off with, and in fact, Christy, can you go back and can you put verse 1 back up on the screen for us? Verse 1, which it says here, My brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers because we know that we teachers will be judged more strictly. Um, James isn't speaking only to people who are teachers, but he's speaking to people who would be leaders. Within the framework, within the context of, of uh, his world, if you were a teacher, uh, that took a little bit of doing. In fact, it took a lot of doing on your own part. And you would not only be a teacher, but you would be the, the leader of a school. You'd be the leader of a, of a group of people. And James says, uh, not many of you should desire to do that. Now, it's not because that it's, it's unimportant to teach other people. And James isn't looking for a reduction in teachers. But what James realizes is something that is, there's a theme that runs throughout Scripture, and it actually it runs throughout all of history, is that from time to time, there is a great deal of honor, there's a great deal of position, there's a great deal of pride, there's, and sometimes there's a great deal of money that comes along with the, with the position of being a teacher, with running a school. And there were a lot of people, and there continue to be from time to time over the course of history, there will continue to be people who want to become a teacher. They want to be a leader. They want to have a title of some sort because of the perks that come along with it. James says something here that where he, he's reverberating the, the theme of Jesus and the rest of Scripture there, and then it plays out into the rest of history. That if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a teacher, if you're going to have influence in the lives of other people, you ought to be somebody that's trustworthy. You ought to be somebody whose life is congruent with your speech so that your speech and action line up. They coalesce. They're one and the same. In the fourth century, there was a guy by the name of John Chrysostom who's one of my favorite heroes. I think you've got a picture of him. One of the reasons I like John Chrysostom is that he had a, a, a nickname that I could get a hold of pretty often pretty early when I heard about him. His nickname was the Golden Mouth. Now, as you look, take a look at that picture, it looks like he's been sucking on a lemon for far too long, and his lips are pursed. But um, his, his nickname was the Golden Mouth. And the reason he was nicknamed the Golden Mouth was because he was a, he was a really good orator. But oration wasn't the only thing that mattered in Chrysostom's life. His life matched his, his words. What he spoke and what he encouraged others to do matched with what he said. And he was really bold. He was so bold that he questioned the, the queen of Constantinople to the point that she sent him on a march that would end up leading to his death. But he was bold nonetheless. He was the golden mouth. And he knew what it meant. He understood the power of, of a tongue. And so Chrysostom said in his own day, Reflecting on this text, he said, 
as you look for leaders, as you look for people you can follow or people to be teachers, look for people whose lives are congruent, whose action and words match. Now, it's um, interesting that I think if James were present with us today, he might say we have a different problem, a problem that's at the other end of the spectrum. Because there are times when people's lives really reflect God's grace, God's goodness. And yet they live in seasons when if they speak up, when if they say something, they know that there may be some blowback, there may be some feedback, some static that is uncomfortable. And there's a, a measurement within James. Because on the one hand, he says, not many of you should be, seek to become. But when you get down to the end of verse 18, we're going to find that James is really saying, all of us can be people who grow in our capacity to speak God's goodness and God's grace and to speak the words of life. All of us can grow in that. And in some way, James is saying, all of us can play along. So when he begins the statement, he, this chapter, he's really beginning with a caution. I think one of the things that James would say to us who live in troubled times is those of you who know God's gift of grace, who have confidence in what God is doing and what God can do, James would say, find your voice. Not a boastful voice, but find a voice that reflects confidence of the kingdom and of the character of Jesus. Find it. And with great wisdom, know when to use it. And that's a, that's a bit of James's conundrum, isn't it? Leaders who know how to use their voice and use it in the right time, the right way. Because a great many verses in this chapter, he's going to talk about the tongue. Now, I don't know if you have this problem, but I have had this problem in my life where I have said some things that I would love to just simply go running for the bushes afterwards. Or I've said some things or to certain people or in certain places where, where deep down inside, I hope I don't ever have to really encounter that person again because I've really embarrassed myself. don't know if you've ever been to that place, but I've been to that place and found out how powerful the tongue is. And James uses analogy after analogy after analogy to just put out there for us to realize that the tongue is a powerful instrument. As, uh, well, a week ago, I, I had to take my tractor. I have a tractor that's very pretty, or it was very pretty, and it still is very pretty. It's one of the things that I've just had a lot of fun with in life. And I had, to, I had to take it apart. I had to take its motor apart. Because deep inside its motor, I found this. Well, and every motor has one of these if, if you're somebody that, that likes to work on machines. I've never taken a motor apart in my life before, but I have now. And I found this, which is it's, its head gasket. And the head gasket on my motor was leaking. And that leaky head gasket allowed all of the antifreeze to flow in to the piston chambers. And when you have gas and antifreeze in the piston chambers, you have a tractor that doesn't like to work. It doesn't like to go anywhere. 
it has no power. A head gasket weighs less than a pound. And yet when the head gaskets broke, a 7,000 pound tractor won't do you any good. It'll just sit by and look pretty. Well, I want it to do more than look pretty. I want it to work. James says the tongue, small instrument, incredibly powerful. You know that. We've all experienced it at some point along the way in life. So what can be done about training this tongue? How can we shape it? James talks about how, about how animals can be shaped and trained. He talks about horses, about how they can be shaped. What can we do to shape our tongue, to give guidance to it, to, to let its power flow in ways that are good and right and life-giving? Well, here are some things, some points of wisdom that come from, uh, from Scripture, and they also come from some practical advice. One, uh, practice silence. Practice thanksgiving. Practice fasting. Have you ever been in one of those places? And probably we all have. Where things are being said and, and temperatures are rising and you think maybe I'll jump in. Has there ever been the thought in the back of your mind that maybe silence is best? There are times when silence is just best. And... Uh, that, that can be a useful tool. The, the practice of thanksgiving. Several years ago, I, and then uh, it, just recently, I was encouraged to revisit again. I wrote a rule of life. A rule of life is something that you write out for your own self, and you say, these are things I value, and these are actions that I want to do, and I really want to give myself to. The practice of writing out or saying or committing oneself to speaking words of thanksgiving. Can be, a, can be something that trains, trains our heart, trains our, our mind, and trains our mouth, our, our tongue. The act of fasting. And I don't mean fasting by giving up food of some kind in, in this sense. But fasting from things that, that um, bring a spirit of negativity to our, to our minds and to our hearts. If you've been on social media uh, this past week, if you've listened to the news, if you've read the newspaper, if you've, if you've engaged with the outside world in, in some of those mediums, I'm going to guess that you've uh, encountered a world that's got a great deal of trouble to it. And I'm going to guess that you've encountered other people who make commentary that's uh, a bit, got some heat to it. Have you ever just taken a break? Have you ever fasted from the news, from the radio, from social media? Have you just given yourself a reprieve and then walked about in the world and noticed how the world has smells and tastes to it that you've, you haven't noticed in a long time? Have you ever noticed that there's beauty that you've missed? Fasting from things that shape how our minds think and shape what our heart feels can sometimes shape our tongue in unique ways. I have a friend, a good friend, his name is, is Roger Brookins, and he's from the, uh, he's the guy in the center. The other guys are friends too, uh, but Roger's the guy in the center with a case hat. Roger lives up near Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and, and uh, when I was pastoring there, Roger came to me one day, he said, Pastor, he said, 
I go to this gathering of farmers on Monday morning. We have coffee together. I like, I like having coffee with these guys, but every time I'm in the room, their language is such that, I mean, the room just seems to be painted blue. Do you think you could come and, and do something about it, say something? Well, I came, and, and then everybody, one guy called me Roger's exorcist. That's how he introduced me to somebody else, you know. I wasn't Roger's pastor. I wasn't Roger's preacher. I was Roger's exorcist. I don't think Roger needed an exorcist, but uh, in fact, I know he, he didn't. Roger, he's a great guy. And so I went, and, and, and uh, after a while, Roger said, man, I can't believe it. Those guys have really shaven up. Like, they don't talk like they used to talk. And I said, well, we'll, we'll see how that, that carries on. A couple years ago, I saw Roger again, and I, I hadn't been there. He says, you need to come back to coffee. Those guys are back to their old tricks. They're back to their old ways. And it's, so, well, Roger, maybe, maybe you need to be the one to, to carry the light of Christ or to carry that, that gift of, of a pleasant word in that place. But what Roger was really expressing is that there are moments in life where we try to shape our own behavior, right? Um, we try to modify or make a shift, and yet we find ourselves going back and repeating some old, some old lines, some things that we wished we didn't do. So what do you do in those moments? James encourages us to look for the wisdom that is from above. Uh, how about we go to the next slide? And so he talks about, uh, he talks about seeking God's wisdom. And one way to seek God's wisdom is, is through confession, is to look to the Lord, to say to God, there are times when we simply blow it. And with confession, I would also add uh, ap apology. Sometimes we need to go to other people and we simply need to apologize for things that we said. One of the prayers of confession that I, I like to use is, is the prayer that says, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Because God knows the things where I need to make amends. And this is just a simple way for me to, to make a confession to God. And then what do we have? What's the next one? Pray. In James chapter 5, James will talk about how we ought to pray for God to heal us. And here in James 3, he talks about how we ought to seek the wisdom that's from above. One of the ancient writers of Scripture said, when it comes to seeking this shaping of the tongue so that it brings life, we ought to ask God to heal our tongues and heal our hearts and heal our minds so that what comes out of us is, is not blessing and cursing, but that what comes out of us is blessing. The ancients said, let's pray for healing. And then I'd like to add one more to all that we've seen there, and that's the gift of a mentor. I've been around some people. Um, one, of the, one of the great things in my own life is to have people around me who've journeyed with Jesus for a long time, who know what it's like to go through the ups and downs of life, who make an honest assessment of who they are, and yet who drink deeply from the wells of the Holy Spirit. One of those people right now in my life is Pastor Bob. He's, he's a mentor in a number of ways to me. And Pastor Bob... If you read some of his writings, if you listen to his sermons, you know, he's, he's pretty, I mean, he's, he's all there, right? He doesn't hide stuff from us. But he's honest about his strengths and his weaknesses, really honest about his weaknesses. 
And yet he continues to be honest about this desire to drink deeply from the well of God, to seek the fullness of the Spirit, to reflect the nature of Jesus. And as I'm around him, I see things in my own self that need to be shaped, that need to be formed, where, where the gift or the hands of God need to bring the grace of God and do transforming work in my own life. That's what the gift of a mentor is to each and every one of us. And if you don't have a mentor, uh, I hope and pray that you have one. After the last sermon, um, the last service, there was a guy in our, in our foyer. He came up to me and he showed a picture to me. Uh, he's, he's somebody that, who's well along in years. And then he showed me a picture of another guy who's older than he is that he's learning stuff from. And you're never too old to have a mentor in your life. So James talks about, talks about leading, about how a leader needs to have their actions and their life and their tongue and all of those things congruent. He talks about how we ought to seek the wisdom that's from above. Then he comes down and he says this is the last verse. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I think about the events of the past week. As I think about events that are about to unfold. You know, in the next couple weeks, we're going to have a couple of political parties who gather in conventions. Out of those venues are going to come... a plethora of words, right? Charges and countercharges and claims and counterclaims. Keep coming back to this verse, this ending from James. A harvest of righteousness is sown in, the, sown in peace by those who make peace. Think about how our world needs the gift of peace, the presence of peace, how our families need it how our churches need it. And I wonder how we can contribute to that reality. How can we contribute with our voices? How can we contribute by letting God shape what comes out of our mouths? How can we contribute by seeking to drink deeply from the wells of God? and to share that with others. My friends, uh, there was a young boy this past week. Profound question. Why is it that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, still has holes in his hands and his feet and his side? I'd say to you that Jesus still bears those marks because When we look at Jesus with his wounds, it reminds us that from time to time, we really do mess up. Yet he stands in our midst and he says, touch me. Touch me, the one, the one who's been wounded. And from these wounds, find grace and strength and healing. And let that which flows from these wounds shape your heart 
and your tongue and your life. So Jesus, we pray that you would come close to us. We pray that you would stand in our midst. We pray that you'd give us courage to touch your wounds and to let your life flow into our lives. And heal us that we may bring life and bear your life to the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.